message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. We're in a series on worship. Was that worship? Um, rhetorical questions here. You don't have to answer out loud. Was it worship because of what they did there? Because of the quality of what they did there? Was it not worship because of perhaps a lack of quality you might have found there? Or was it or was it not worship because of what you brought? The lack of the quality of what you have brought to offer the Lord this morning. As a sacrifice of praise, as a sacrifice of worship. What, what did you bring? Was it, was it worship, I'm wondering, from your perspective? Worship is an important topic. and we are, We're jumping in this morning. If this is your first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. My name is Daryl, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, last week, we began to answer some of the basic questions regarding the topic of worship. Uh, actually, I gave you some precursors last week. Today, we really jump into the basic questions, as you see there on the screen, the who, what, the when, the where, and the why, and maybe even we'll get to the how. All right? uh, and incidentally, uh, when we talk about preaching on worship, you're, you're wanting me to jump straight to the how. <laughs> That's our, our natural inclination, I think. Let's talk about the how. How is it supposed to, how is it supposed to look? Um, but we're going to go through. We're going to go through all of these. Last time I gave you just a, an introduction, a few precursors. You remember what the precursors were? I said three things God is not indifferent to. Number one, God is not indifferent to whether or not you worship. And that's important to know as we begin this conversation on worship. Worship is not an, an option. It's not an elective. It's not a spiritual gift that you get passed over for. Worship is something that is required of you. Certainly as a believer, but do you know that worship is something that will be required of all men? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. If God is who he says he is, if he is the creator of all the universe and every one of us, then he deserves our worship in one way or another. He will have our worship. God's not indifferent to whether or not we worship. He's also not indifferent as to who we worship. We don't get just to pick and choose. We don't get to create a God of our own like. We don't get to create a God that makes sense to us. We don't get to just fabricate a God, shape him, mold him into a God that we would maybe identify with or we might be able to tolerate. But do we do that? We absolutely do that. We've created all types of gods. Man has thought up gods to fit the form that we would think would make for a good God, don't we? One that gives us what we want when we want it, but one that stays far enough back so that we can do what we want to do and not feel the pressure of his presence, perhaps. Um, that, would be, that would be idolatry. That's not the God of Scripture. God is not indifferent as to who we worship. It is important that we worship the one true God, or it is... Well, it's, 
It's useless, isn't it? God's also not indifferent to the manner of our worship. Not necessarily the form or the style, but the manner. We're going to talk about how we must worship in a manner that is pleasing to God by his direction. Worship that is in spirit and in truth. He's not just letting us have a free-for-all. He has given us some direction as to how we worship. What is the manner of our worship? So we're going we're gonna to get to all those things. That is your foundation. Let's this week jump into our first question. It might be rather obvious to you that worship is required. If there is a creator, he is who he says he is. It seems like a natural response, response that we would worship him, right? Uh, I get that there are some questions, however, to even that basic premise. I mean, if we're honest, there are going to be some tough questions we have to answer in this series. Like, why does God demand worship of us? What's the reason? Is he a needy God? Does he need us to worship him somehow to bolster his own self-esteem? Is that a need of God's? Does he have a need? Or maybe God's this, you know, this giant megalomaniac that just somehow is, uh, you get the picture. I mean, what, what is this requirement of worship for? What's the purpose of it? Those are bold questions, but they're fair questions. You should be asking those questions. People out there should be asking those questions of a God who demands worship. They're fair. They're bold, but they're fair. We, if we're courageous, we're going to have to find answers to those, and we will. We will. But we begin by asking a simple question. The first of our W questions, the who. If you know what the five W's are, the who, what, when, where, and why, and then we've added the sometimes how, you know that those are used in uh, literature, they're used in journalism, they're used in research, they're used in investigation processes all around the world. They're basic questions that we have, I don't know who came up with them in the very beginning, but they're the basic questions that you learn in probably middle school or towards the tail end of elementary school that these are the questions you have to ask. If you're wondering about something, a specific something, you ask the who, what, when, where, and the why. And you put it all on note cards, and then you mix them all up, and then you lay them out on a table, and then you write your paper, right? That's how it works. The who, what, when, where, and why, that's, uh, that's where we start. Each question has a factual answer, or it should. Facts necessary to include to come up with a well-rounded answer. It's important to note that none of these questions can be answered with a yes or no answer. Who? Yes. <laughs> that doesn't work. Why? No. That, see, it doesn't work. You have to expand. You can't give a simple or a trite answer. So when we talk about the who, what, when, where, and why, and the sometimes how of worship, we're, we're going to have to get into it, right? So the who. The who. I think that uh, in regards to the topic of worship, there's probably no more important question than the question of the who. I say that for a couple reasons. Let me give you the reasons. Forget we're talking about, for just a moment, if you can, forget we're talking about God. Okay? Forget this is a whole spiritual conversation. When you hear someone speak of how they worship something or someone, now think about the immediate thoughts that come to mind, the immediate questions that come to mind. I, uh, to say this thing or this person is worthy of worship, I mean, that's a big word to use, even outside of the church, right? But we use it. 
And what do we mean by it? We mean to say that something uh, is beyond our admiration and just our appreciation. It's something uh, more than that, isn't it, to worship it? And we put it on a, on a higher level, on a higher, on a higher plane. It's worthy of being literally elevated or lifted up. And if it's worthy of being called something we worship, then not only is it uh, uh, the image in our mind of something we elevate or lift up, but it's something that we'll get as far down low from as we can, right? Does that make sense? Something that we say is worthy of worship is more than just a, an admiration and an appreciation. It's something we elevate, we lift up, and we get low in its presence. That's what we talk about when we talk about worship. One of the Hebrew words, in fact, for uh, worship in the Old Testament, it, it pictures this very thing of someone lying down on their face. So who is important? Maybe the most important question because it, I think it's a logical question. I worship this. This is this worthy of a thing to ascribe my worship to. Then I'm asking, who, who, who is this? What is this thing that, that you're ranking so high? So it's a logical question, isn't it? If you're going to say you're going to worship something, you better know who that, who that thing or it is. It's a logical question at the very least. Who deserves such admiration? Who deserves such appreciation? That's what I want to know. If you're going to worship them, I want to know who, who it is. Who is this person? It's natural. It's logical. But it's also, I would say, practical. Let me explain what I mean by it's a practical question to ask. Who is it that deserves our worship? It's a practical question to figure out the who in the mix here. Um, as a church planner, as a pastor, a teacher, as a discipler of men, uh, I quickly found out something that I cannot convince you to worship. I can't talk you into it. I can't even teach you into it. What I realized early on is that it takes an encounter on your part with a living God. Uh, to figure out the who is the first step to creating a setting of worship. I mean, I can't just tell you about this person, the who, and expect that you will worship. The who has to be a person of such, of such admiration, of such honor, of such quality that he deserves your worship. And it goes for, especially in a conversation about God, it goes beyond just a simple explanation, a simple teaching. It takes an encounter. I would say only an encounter with him will spark worship. True worship only happens and will only happen based at least in its foundation on your encounter with a living God. Ricky saying about the presence. I love your presence. That presence has a power to, to force our hand in worship, frankly. Think about it this way. When you read through any uh, any. Uh, section of your Old Testament, you seem, to, you seem to fall over men and women who encounter the living God, and every time they do, every time you find Old Testament or New Testament, for that fact, someone encountering the living God, what is their response? Their response is automatically and without thought, it's worship. It's worship. I think about Moses. God calls out his name. Where's that coming from? It's that bush there. It's on fire. Shoes are off. He's on his face. I don't know who's talking to me. I don't know what's going on. 
in the presence of God, you worship. In an encounter with God, worship is automatic. Isaiah, he's in the presence of God, high and lifted up. Automatic. I'm on my face. Anytime you see anyone in Scripture encounter the living God, worship is automatic. That's why I say figuring out the who is a, is a practical question when it comes to worship. If I can help you as a pastor, teacher, leader, etc., if I can help you or anyone else see God, see the who, guess what? Worship will happen. Worship will happen. It's been a sort of a foundational principle for, for our church since we started it seven years ago. Going into it, we, we decided that we were going to make it a priority. Aside from all the other things that we did, we would make every effort to lift God up in front of you so that you might see him for who he is, knowing practically that if you see him for who he is, your life will be changed. Is that right? That everyone in Scripture who encounters the living God, who sees God for who he is, they walk away changed. And so uh, what I've realized is I don't have to preach about all the all the auxiliary stuff. And we will from time to time. But more often than not, my goal has been to show you God. Let me elevate the who in your presence. Let me, let me show you who he is. Let's talk about who he is. When you see God for who he is, worship, worship will happen. Um, I wholeheartedly believe that once you once you see him for who he is, you'll, you'll never turn back. Even further, if you, if you have a hard encounter with him, then I won't, like I said, have to worry about preaching the rest because the one true creator has gotten your attention. And it's a lot easier if he's gotten your attention for me in preaching and teaching to get your attention. I'm not, I'm not playing word games. I'm not having to twist your arm. I'm not having to convince you that he is worthy. You see him for who he is. You've heard me say it this way before, perhaps. You draw near to God and he will have his way with all the other stuff in your life. If I know that you're, you're drawing near to God, as we sang in that last song, if I know that you're drawing near to God, guess what? I don't, I don't worry about hammering uh, topics like tithing and giving of your time and your commitment to this church. I don't worry about those things. On the other hand, on the other hand, if you're having, if you're having struggles with your, with your finances as they relate to God, if, if you're struggling with hidden sin, if your commitment to the church body is slacking, if your commitment to your own family, and on and on and on, if you're having problems in those areas repeatedly, guess what? I'm sorry. I will have to assume that there is a correlation between your relationship with God and those issues. And so if you never give a dime to this church, and this is not something, by the way, that I keep track of. If you never give a dime to the work of God, whether it's this church or any other ministry out there, that is, to some degree or another, a litmus test of your relationship with your God. If your commitment to a local body is lacking, it's sporadic, it's non-existent, that says something, I'm sorry, about your relationship to your God. It says something about, more specifically, who you think he is. If you see him for the who that he actually is, he's going to convince you of all the other things. I'm convinced. 
I'm confident of. So why is the who question the most important to me? It's a logical question. It's also a practical question. Um, so, Pastor, thanks for telling me why it's such an important question. Are you ever going to get to the answer of who? Who is the one we worship? Let me see him. This should be this should be the question in your heart and mind right now after I've given you all the reasoning. At this point, you should be saying, okay, I need to, I need to get a better glimpse of who this God is that we are commanded to worship. Who is he? I need, I need to know him better. That should be your heart right now. Uh, to tell you the truth, the answer to the who question could take, take us a lifetime. I could preach to you about who God is from here until the day I die. Sunday in, Sunday out, I could preach to you about who God is. And that might be, that might be exactly the thing we ought to do. And so to narrow it down to one message, who is God here in this seven or eight part series, it's a, it's a daunting task. About 20 years ago, I heard a recording. Somebody, I have the tape in my office. You guys know what a tape is? Some of you older folks might know what a tape is. Taylor, you know what a tape is? Yeah, exactly. Not an 8-track. I'm not, I'm not that far off. I don't think they're recording preachers back in 8-tracks. Nah, not that kind of tape. I have the tape in my office somebody gave me 20 years ago of a man named S.M. Lockridge. You know what the S and the M stand for? Anybody? Craig? No. No. Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge. What a name. Wouldn't you be glad if your mama named you that, Jeff? Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge. Pastor in the 50s at a church in San Diego. Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego. A prominent African-American church there in San Diego. In the early 70s, he preached a sermon, and uh, he said some things about the who. And I've got about a six-minute clip here, and what I want you to do is just have a taste and see if the Lord is not good. All right? So Mike's going to play this. There's no video. You just listen. If you want to close your eyes, you just listen to this old preacher tell you who he thinks this God is. Go ahead, Mike. My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David says the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soulless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. 
He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He starves and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah. Yeah. That's my king. My king. Yeah. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heaven cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been. 
and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't even beat him, and he's not going to resign. That's my Is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Hey! All the power belongs to my king. We around here talking about black power and white power and green power, but it's God's power. Thine is the power. Yeah! And the glory. We finally get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory is all his. Yeah! Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. I wish I could describe him to you. The question is, do you, do you know him? Do you know who he is? Just a sampling there. There's so much more. There was so much said right there, but there is, there is so much more. This week as I was thinking about, God, who is it that you want us to see you for who you are? Who should we focus on this morning? There, there are so many facets of the diamond that Jesus is. Which way do we look? I, I frankly got a little overwhelmed. I said, God, how do I answer this question in one, in one message? I'm sure I can't. So what peak do you want us to have? And my mind kept going to, to that manger. In this Christmas season, we celebrate a time where God saw fit to reveal himself through a babe in a manger, through a child. All week long, that's all I could think about is, God, who, who are you? Who do you want us to see you for this week? Who do you, who do you need Cornerstone to see you for this week? And my, man, my mind just kept going to that child, to that child. Now, I'm not advocating like that you move to those Ricky Bobby type, pray to the baby Jesus, that lovely, beautiful, you know, gold baby Jesus, diaper Jesus, baby prayer things. That, that's not what I'm talking about here. But there's something about, if you haven't seen Ricky Bobby, then you don't know what I'm talking about. There's something about God coming in the form of not just a human, but coming in the form of a child. I mean, think about it. He could have just beamed me down, Scotty, as a, as a grown man, right? He could have done that. He could have done anything that he wanted to do. But he, but he chose to come in the form of a child and grow up just like every one of us has to do and be hungry and be, be provided for by, by parents And so I, I, I just, I can't, in my heart, stop from asking, God, what do, you, what, what do you want us to know about who you are because of what you've done in, in coming as a child? I mean, what does, it, what does it 
say to your heart that the God of all the universe laid himself down in a manger of hay. I mean, maybe words like humility should come to mind. You want to know who this God is? Jesus would say, after he, after he had grown some, to his disciples, when they'd ask, you know, tell us about the Father, he'd say, have I been with you for so little of a time that you haven't realized that when you see me, you, you've seen the Father? I am the Father in one. In other words, I am God. Do you not realize that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? God saw fit. The, the Father was pleased to reveal himself in the person of the Son. If you've seen the Son, you've seen him. And so from, from birth to death, through resurrection, back through the ascension to the right hand of the Father, what we should know about God can be seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Even, even as a babe in a manger. This Christmas season, I think there are some answers that God has for your heart about who he is. Who is this God that we worship? Who is this God that is to be worshipped by all creation? Who is this God that when we do not worship his creation, the rocks, the mountains, the hills, the breeze will cry out in worship to him? Who is he? Well, God said, here, I'll show you. And he put himself in a manger of hay. What does that have to say to your heart? And so maybe words like humility. Maybe words like grace, compassion, love unimaginable. I mean, think about what a creator God, what he could have done, how he could have responded to a creation that has rejected him, a creation that has stiff-armed him. I mean, do you, do you come to that creation? If it's you or me, do you come the way he, he came? Scripture says that when the angels... And the angels told of his coming. They said that he would be given a name, a name of Emmanuel, which scripture translates itself. Just to be clear, you give him a name that means God is with us. God is with us. Maybe think about this. When you think about the manger this season, when you think about who he is, think about the fact that he is not only with us, but your God has been pursuing you all of your days. And as long as there has been a fallen creation, he has been pursuing us. I think about all the way back to Adam and Eve. You get the fall and then God comes back to walk in the cool of the day just as he always has been and he can't find Adam and Eve. He knows where they are. Adam, where are you? Where are you? You find God pursuing his creation. Even a creation that disobeyed, rejected, and stiff-armed its creator. I think about when Jesus went and he was choosing his disciples. And it says that he found some guys who were fishing. And he said, hey, why don't you come with me? I will make you, what does he say? Fishers of men. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus wasn't going to train them in fishing. He wasn't a fisherman. He was a carpenter by trade, just like his father. 
But knowing what they were doing, he makes this interesting statement. I'm going to make you fishers of men. What does that say about the intent of Jesus? Jesus was here to pursue the heart and the souls of men and women. God is, God is one who is pursuing. Who is he? He's one who, who came in the form of a child, humbled himself, continually pursuing you and I in grace, in mercy, in love. He would tell his disciples before he left, go into all the world and make disciples of all men. The word disciple, it, it, it really means a follower. Because a disciple wasn't somebody who just came in for a lesson once a week and went back out. A disciple was someone who followed you in your life. And so as you went, you discipled, you taught them. They watched your life. They watched how you were a father. They watched how you were a mother. They watched how you were a, an employee. You discipled them. They were followers. Discipleship was a following thing. Jesus said, go and, and here's your job now. You pursue. Pursue. There are lots of things we could say about the who that God is that is worthy of our worship. Consider Consider this season when you see a manger scene driving by, that, that there is a representation of a God who is so pursuing his creation that he would come even in the form of a child. When you start to see God for who he is like that, for who he chose to be for us, it should blow you away. And the how of what your worship will look like, you start to see how that's inconsequential. Worship, it's not as important for me to tell you what it looks like. This hand up, now this hand down, now kneel here, now stand up here. The how is not, is not the important question. You figure out this who, you figure out this who, I guarantee you, you'll know what to do. As I imagine, if, if, your, if your spirit is open to what the Spirit is saying to you right now, your heart is directing you to worship. So Taylor, let's close. Will you pray with me? God, we've got a mind for worship that is perhaps far off target. We've got preferences and we've got designs for worship, what we believe to be worship that are based on our culture, that are based on our, our own desires and our own preferences, perhaps, Father, that may not line up with anything you have in mind for worship. It may be, Father, that when your people gather in churches like this around the world and you slide to the edge of your throne to hear what is happening, it may be that you hear nothing. No, songs are being sung, prayers are being offered, words are being preached, but it may be that you hear nothing from the edge of your throne because there is nothing of worth rising up from the hearts and the souls of the men and women who offer the so-called praises. Lord, I don't know what the men and women in this room thought they brought in this morning to offer you. Maybe they thought that they could walk into this place that we have designated for congregational worship 
put a tip in the box, shake a hand or two, give a half-hearted smile to the person across the aisle, stand when the lead worshipers stand, sit when the lead worshiper sits, give a half an ear, your very word and then call that something of worth we've got to figure out Lord what this worship is my prayer as it always has been is that Father first and foremost we would find ways to get a glimpse of who you are you have seen fit to show us who you are through the person of Jesus God incarnate in the flesh, even as a babe. What humility, what grace, what great distance you would go to, Father, for us. You are pursuing us. and That blows me away. And it causes me, if only in my heart, to fall to my knees. And even, Lord, if I don't have words to sing or words to lift in adoration or praise, Father, thank you that the Spirit Spirit of the living God translates the groanings of my heart and that even can be called worship. Lord, we've got a lot to learn about this thing of worship. How many days we come in and out of places just like this and we measure worship with our own ruler. How often the standard of our Measurement begins with us and ends with us. Forgive us, God. Forgive us, God, for not making you the standard. Lord, I I pray, I humbly pray that this congregation has brought you something of worth this morning. Maybe the best thing that we can offer this whole day is a broken and contrite heart right now, Lord. Might the sacrifice of of our hearts and minds right now be an acceptable form of worship to you. And while we continue to to lay our, our lives on the altar, to become the living sacrifices that you've asked us to be, Lord, would you teach us daily how to become worshipers in spirit and in truth. Right now, Lord, my prayer is that, as your word says, as the deer panteth after the water, so my soul longs for you, God. Would you create the longing in us once more that drives us to pure, unadulterated worship. Holy Spirit, teach us. Teach us in this moment. Teach us in this moment.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.